Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, thanks for being here. We're happy to be back after an extended break, and I'm pleased to bring you Deanna Swoboda as this week's guest. Deanna is Associate Professor of Tuba and Euphonium at Arizona State University, and she brings a wealth of knowledge and insights into practicing, performing, and entrepreneurship, which is something that is really unique about her, and she shares a lot about her entrepreneurial endeavors throughout her career. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Deanna Swoboda. Hi, Deanna. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hi, Steve. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You know, as we were talking before, it's been probably decades, (laughs) decade or decades since I've seen you. And, um, I was thinking back to when I first met you at Arizona State and how I was sandwiched. My office was next to yours, and then on the other side was the piano studio with Heidi Tsai and Baruch Meyer. Oh, that's right. Oh, flashback. That is wild. Yeah, that was, you know, I started in 1994. When did you start? I started in... I had to have been like 98, I want to say, or 97. I had moved down and then I took a year off or so between my bachelor's and was studying with Dr. Whitecoe and then was kind of around, but um, yeah, didn't didn't come in until I came in in the spring, actually, like mid season. But yeah, that was such Crazy. a wild <laughs> And fun time. And yeah. Heidi always says that she remembers um, my metronome because I'd hooked my metronome up to the, like a big amplifier. <laughs> <laughs> so I could hear it over myself. Anyway. That's fun. Um, one thing I've always loved about you is that you're just so much fun. And I was just watching that. Um, how do you pronounce, is there a title to this piece that you just recorded? Yeah, it's called Tuba Legation. Tuba Legation. Uh, the composer, uh, Josh Oxford, he's actually currently a doctoral student at Arizona State University. Oh, and okay. <laughs> But he's previously written for the tuba, and so he's known in the tuba circles. And he asked if I would premiere a new piece for his upcoming recital, and I thought, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun, really fun. 
the video is great and it just it brought me back to just the joy just you just exude joy like every time i'm around you and and i remember all those times in in tuba studio or just in jazz band or whatever or you know when we i think we go on the road with the jazz band and anyway there were just so many and then your brass rap like you were always just like so effusive and joyful and it's still the case like i'm watching this video and i'm like oh this is so cool with all the kind of video game graphics <laughs> It was really fun. Yeah. And, you know, that actually I worked with a, a former student as well, you know, to put some fun graphics together. And uh, so it, that was a nice collaborative project with some people. Yeah. Uh, Clark Rigsby in Tempe. Clark. recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, right? I know. Blast from the past. And then I was yeah. watching your, um, the it's an older video, but of you with the kids so the um your um recruiting video oh right. blast off yeah van blast off van blast off and was that scott um scotty playing trumpet yandel yes scotty. Yandel. yeah 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 that uh yeah that was a project and that actually became 10 years of my life uh touring and with that program and mm. you know a lot of other things happened during that time as well too did that come out of brass rap like i remember when you yeah. started brass rap and did that morph into blast off yeah yes it became band blast off as and and that became a a dvd and uh, you know an actual physical piece that uh band directors were using for recruitment as well as music stores and um yeah that was just uh that was a time of, you know, like, I mean, a creative time, a fulfilling time. Um, you know, my passion at that point was connecting with young people and promoting music in the schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, the program that I designed uh, for K through six was, uh, it was a one woman show with, you know, <laughs> props and uh, pre-recorded accompaniment. And I mm. performed at you know, thousands of schools around the country, um, you know, doing assembly programs. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you know, music dealers got really excited about it because it helped them rent instruments for the <laughs> sure. band, for the music programs, you know. Um, so that was really that was a big part of my life for 10 years. And then other things started happening, you know, during that time along the way that was, you know, I, well, actually, you know, reflecting on my life, I'm sort of a gypsy in that way. I don't know if you remember, there was a time um, when I, I was touring so much that I put all of my stuff in storage. Yeah, I do. Remember I just that. lived on the road. <laughs> I came home and stayed with friends, you know, but I wasn't home very long <clears throat> and then yeah. back out on the road and um, a fun time. Eventually it was an exhaustive time. <laughs> I've, yeah, that's, that's a lot of work. Are you still like passionate about that? Like getting young people involved? Or, like, do you still do that loc locally around there, um, around Tempe or Phoenix? Do you stuff with I the don't. schools? I don't, I've sort of retired that part <laughs> of me <laughs> Good for you. and, you know, put all my energies now into 
teaching tuba and euphonium and entrepreneurship now at ASU. Uh, right. Developed a, you know, a course and a certificate in music entrepreneurship, and I really feel like that's that's the the creative focus for me right now, and sort of you know taking the place of that passion, helping others um, discover what it is they're going to do with their music. Yeah. It's just fun. It's so fun. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I'm really curious about the entrepreneurial part. Susan, actually, it's funny. You said you listened to Susan's episode because she's, she's doing some pretty cool stuff with her students around like how to make a living as a musician. So I'm really curious to hear what, like what you've put together, how, what, what's that, what's that like? Yeah. Um, she was such an inspiration. What an amazing, you know, that, that was a really nice podcast. Um, um, you know, I started, I, well, I taught at Western Michigan university for seven years prior to mm-hmm. Arizona state. And <clears throat> during that time I designed a class, um, that was based on entrepreneurial thinking and, mm. Um, career design, and it has since morphed into a class that is called the Enterprising Musician. Mm. And um, you know, it's still it's it's an introduction to entrepreneurial thinking, to entrepreneurship, marketing, branding, um, thinking about your career. I like to think about as musicians, as as artists, musicians, where it's really like you know, like a, a wheel and we're, we're at the hub of that wheel and all of the spokes coming out from the center. If we're at the center, mm-hmm. all of those spokes is it's a piece of, of our career that, um, those are all things that we do in our lives and we can, uh, make money doing those things. Mm-hmm. We can, uh, chase our passions and uh, career desires. And, but, you know, as musicians, there are many things that make up our career. It can be as simple as be a performer or mm-hmm. be a music educator, though as creative people, we are often um, multifaceted and talented and our skill sets are many and how we put all of those things together to do the things that uh, you see yourself doing. Right. Um, so I teach that course, um, and also just created a certificate in music entrepreneurship where students take that course. They also have a field work experience <clears throat> or a capstone project. And then <clears throat> they have the, really the freedom to choose their own direction, you know, like three electives, of if they're interested in marketing and they're interested in, um, you know, global management, or they're mm-hmm. interested in nonprofit, or they can sort of design their own entre- what they uh, see as an entrepreneurial type of career, depending on their interests. And uh, it's fun. Yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah. Well, it seems so incredibly valuable because um, I'm imagining that you know you get even you're in your tuba studio, you get people coming in and they're like, I'm going to be, I'm going to play with the Chicago symphony. And you're like, great, you know, or I'm going to play with the Met or whatever it is. And not everybody can 
get that job, even if they're the, even if they're a fantastic musician. So what do you, you know, I'm curious what you say or how you coach your, your studio with the entrepreneurial stuff as well. Yeah, sure. You know, it's, yeah, it is interesting that you say that because all students come in <laughs> thinking in that, well, I shouldn't say all, but many, Most of them, you know, yeah. with, uh, you know, I want to play in a professional orchestra and, um, and that's great. That's a goal and you should pursue your goal because as you're pursuing that goal, you're, you are really becoming uh, a, a great musician you're developing your musicianship and your tuba playing skills um, along the way, um, helping students develop their portfolio and having experiences outside of the classical realm, mm. um, encouraging students to, you know, in we have studio classes that are um, creativity based, um, improvisational mm. based um, um learning how to improvise, learning other styles of music. One of the uh, projects we have right now in our uh, brass area, and really due to COVID and our opportunity to be all online. Right. <laughs> right. How, how, we, uh, how we leverage that, take advantage of that, and um, make some progress during this time. So we decided as a, a brass faculty to help our students uh, learn technology in in terms of uh, how to record themselves mm -hmm. creating video um, and uh, so taking their performance skills working in that direction but actually having a product on the other side of that yeah. and um, in conjunction with that featuring um, composers uh, BIPOC composers women composers uh, the studio, the Tuba Euphonium studio, we just had a, an outdoor distanced concert. And <laughs> awesome. the title of the concert was uh, Changing Our World Through Changing Our Repertoire. And it's just, you know, it's so great to see you know, one student wrote a new piece mm -hmm. for the tuba. Uh, two others commissioned composers to write something for our instruments and... Um, so we had premieres and trying to find new music and different music to play and make a positive contribution to the world in terms of our nucleus of tuba and you found right. them, uh, you know, but every, every bit makes a difference mm. in helping shift yeah. things and, <laughs> and to be positive in our endeavors. Yeah. That concert that social distance performance, was it, was there an audience? Yes, actually we could have, uh, 30 people in that space distanced. And so parents were invited, you know, right. family members, that sort of thing. Uh, it was really fantastic. And actually at, uh, at the school of music, they've just completed an outdoor performance space near the music building okay. and it's gorgeous it's beautiful it has you know really artistic uh this overhang and lighting mm. and uh so we'll start to have outdoor uh music dance theater events oh that's awesome how we how we're yeah how we're shifting what we do yeah and being safe <laughs> right being taking measures to be safe of course and one thing about being in arizona is that you can do things outside right during the, this is like our peak right because our peak season you know i know we just 
I was reading the news for Oregon this morning and it's like El Nino is here, like cold and wet, like winter. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, but you guys, <laughs> you guys have that advantage of like, this is like the, the, the beautiful time of year down there. It is. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So we're, yeah, we're taking advantage of that. And, you know, yeah, in terms of, you know, entrepreneurial things in the student helping, helping students think creatively and outside the box a little bit, you know, what do you, what, what's next? What are you doing next? That is connecting with your community. Um, how are you, how is your work helping to change the world in a positive way yeah. in some, in some way? And thinking outside of the practice room, essentially, <laughs> you know, how, how we do that. Right. And, you know, I find, too, you know, at the core of entrepreneurship, something that we talk about continually is relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can I mean, we can call it networking in the business realm. But I, I really I really like to think of it as building relationships and maintaining relationships and. Um, you know, who you know in your immediate surroundings that uh, is supportive of you and your work as a musician, a person um, right outside of that, you know, who's in your community that you know or you you should know Mm -hmm. in order to do the kind of work that is important in our world. And and then outside of that, who's, you know, who's somebody that you want to meet and um, you want to know more about their career and their life. And um, so helping students maintain relationships mm-hmm. and develop relationships um, is for me uh, throughout my career. That's been, that's why I I'm know right? today, you know, it's <laughs> it so cool. cool. I mean, it's just cool. <laughs> Do you remember when you were an undergrad, were there, did you have people that you were like, Oh, I want, Ooh, I want to meet this, this tuba, you know, professor this tuber performer did you have people in mind that you wanted to meet and did you end up meeting them yes actually um yeah I mean isn't that funny too you know who what you have in mind you know yeah as a young student um you know one of the uh people I wanted to meet was well two people uh, Roger Bobo, who was the principal tuba in the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic for a lot of years, and he was like one of the first mm-hmm. soloists. Um, and I had an album of his, you know, so I was like, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? And then the other uh, recording that I had and listened to a lot in, uh, in college was uh, Sam Palafian, who then became my teacher at Arizona State right. University. Uh, you know, so the inspirations of, yeah, you know, what you're inspired by as a young person and then the path that you travel and eventually, yeah, uh, meet those people. How did you meet Sam? I don't know if I remember how you guys met or what, how that happened. We met, I had just finished one year of teaching at University of Idaho, uh, after my master's and I taught uh, a sabbatical replacement for my, actually my professor, because I went to University of Idaho <laughs> right, for my undergrad. undergrad. And it was a great opportunity following my master's. Um, and I had decided at that point to start a doctorate. And uh, I auditioned at Arizona State University. 
and I was accepted. I was really excited. I was going to study with Dan Tarantoni. <laughs> and uh, and I, I had a phone call, and it was Sam Palafian. Ne- we had never met. And and at first, you know, it, it was just funny because I knew right. his name. And then he was calling me. Right. So you're like, what? <laughs> just funny, you know, so funny, right. Uh, and to tell me that Dan Parentoni – uh, was starting a new position at Indiana University. Sam would be teaching at at Arizona State, and would I be interested in the teaching assistantship? Mm. And uh, which was very yeah. exciting. You know, I uh, I actually started my doctorate with uh, two teaching assistantships: one in conducting with with the right. band program, right. and also uh, then at that point adding tuba onto that. Um, and then after a year, I. I decided tuba was where it's at, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That studio was where it was at. Everybody, everybody wanted to be in that studio, even if you weren't a tuba student. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I think uh, I still take inspiration from, from Sam as, you know, as yeah. a teacher now. But as a student, the inspiration of always pushing, pushing your personal limits of where you thought you could go, um, pushing you to be a flexible musician, um, and just you know being around him as he was a just an inspiration mm. because he was always doing, right. always going, um, and. Uh, Entre- very entrepreneurial as well, you know, just a great musician though, such an inspiration. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he so, was, yeah. he was such an influence on so many, so, so many, many people, not just, not just the brass world, but, um, yeah, I felt so honored to know him and, and learn from him, even as a saxophone, <laughs> even as a saxophonist, it was like, oh man, there's so much to learn from this guy. And I, I uh, I love that about him and what he's taught to his students, and and the same with you. That's like we're you know learning from anyone and every situation, not just this is my teacher and I'm only going to learn you know in, in inside this small little framework. That that was really that was really awesome to have that. Here's Deanna playing "Silhouette" by John Harmon off the CD table for three. Thank you. 
you started on clarinet when you were a kid, right? That was your first instrument? I did. <laughs> and yeah. was your family yeah. musical? Like, were, you have a family of musicians or are you like the, the musician and the family? I'm the, well, I'm the professional musician, I guess, one who pursued it as their career, you know. Um, my mom played clarinet when she was a young person, and my dad actually played trombone and tuba really? when he was a kid. <laughs> and yeah, it is kind of funny, you know. It, it was, uh, I played clarinet from fourth grade to eighth grade, and in the eighth grade, my band director asked if there was somebody who would like to play the tuba. And we didn't have a tuba player, but we had a tuba in the back of the room, you know. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool, you know. And then I realized if I played the tuba, I got to sit next to the boy trumpet player that I had a crush on in the back row. So I was like, oh, sign Sweet. me up. <laughs> wow. And then I started playing tuba, and unfortunately he quit band. The boy left just band. Really devastating, but... <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it was, you know, yeah. I guess somewhat of a love relationship with the tuba because I kept playing it. Right. And, um, Did you have a private instructor early on for tuba or was it just your band director? I did in high school, uh, my senior year in high school, I started taking lessons with someone in town mm -hmm. and, you know, I can't remember his name. <laughs> That's fine. It's really awful. It's terrible. Um, was that when you're... But he steered me in yeah. a nice direction. And my high school band director was a huge inspiration. He actually gave me the first tuba record album of oh, Roger wow. Bobo. Uh, and he said, here, listen to this and be inspired. And you were. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I was, yeah. At that point, I started... Uh, I remember transcribing the... Vaughn Williams tuba concerto by ear. Damn. Uh, listening to Roger Bobo, you know, just like measure by measure. It was like, okay, lift and put, okay, lift and put back. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, uh, but that was, yeah, my high school band director was a great inspiration to me. Yeah. yeah. And then you decided from that experience to pursue it as, as your undergrad. Yeah, you know, I had I had nice experiences in high school. Um, we attended University of Idaho, the mm -hmm. Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival, and uh, that was really influential. In and I was a bass trombonist okay, as well. Yeah. You know, playing uh, played in the jazz band, and um, so those couple of years, well, probably three years. Uh, attending the jazz festival and meeting mm -hmm. people at the university and uh, it was an opportunity yeah. and I you know, received a scholarship and so at that point you know the other career I was thinking about though was um, I was interested in nursing I thought I might like to be a nurse I'd, I'd like to help yeah. people and though I decided against that early on when I had a high school experience to uh, sort of shadow, you know, a, a nurse <laughs> practitioner, and uh, she was drawing blood. Oh, I no. Out. <laughs> Good to find out. I decided yeah. that that wasn't the career for yeah. that for me. <laughs> How did your practice change when you went into your into that program in, in Idaho? Like, was it a lot more structured or like, was there a, I'm just curious how, 
what that was like for you. Yeah, sure. You know, one of my, well, my high school band director being the inspiration, he told me that if you're going to major in music and you're going to be a performance major, you have to practice six to eight hours a day. And I took that as truth. You know, I was like, well, okay. So, you know, I mean, okay, reflecting on that, right? You know, I probably practiced four to five hours a day as an undergrad. Though, um, really, you know, thinking about how productive that was, because as a young person, how you're, you just, you love to play. I'm playing my instrument, right? I love playing the tuba and making music. And um, so I don't think I was very efficient in my Mm -hmm. practice, though over that four-year period, I I improved Mm -hmm. greatly, you know, and and got into grad school. Um, Though reflecting on that, and that's, you know, something now that I I place a high priority on for my students is helping them know how to practice, teaching them how to practice specifically. What does that Um, look like, teaching them how to practice? Can you say more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, for me, I realized that it was being specific about what you're working on and how you're going to work on it, being very organized in your practice time, because time is right. of the essence. You know, if you have two hours to spend, what is it that you want to accomplish and how are you going to do it? Make mm-hmm. a plan. Um, so that combination of uh of basics, how we you know, learn the instrument mm-hmm. itself and learning just the basics of the instrument. Um, of course, the repertoire that you're working on. And then something that is playful in, in your practice because it's, that's where the fun comes back or you maintaining the fun of what we do, making music and making music with, with other people. Yeah. Um, the fun. So the fun can be, you know, jamming out on your B flat scale for <laughs> right. two minutes, or it could be learning a tune and uh, using your iReal Pro and, you know, uh, playing along with a track, or it could be uh, transcribing something, how we use our mm. ears. You know, I, I think we've had this conversation a little bit before too, about, you know, different kinds of musicians of, we learn by mm-hmm. sight we learn by ear um, and just, you know, how, I mean, in retrospect, I wish I had had more ear mm-hmm. immersion as a young, a young yeah. player, because in your older years there, or, you know, your college years where maybe there's, there's a fear that settles in where you're a little bit afraid to immerse yourself into that kind of playing for fear of failing. It's the failing (laughs) part at that point. Right. And, uh, though keeping or or developing and having a playful aspect in your practice is really important for the longevity of what you do as well. Avoiding burnout (laughs) and, uh, you know, like, yeah, just being able to sit down and play your, your horn with somebody else. And make music. Um, yeah, I love that you talk about so, the playfulness because yeah. that's the whole title of this podcast, like being playful. And I, that's something I'm really trying to explore more of 
not only as a as a mus- performing musician but as a teacher like helping my students be more playful i teach a lot of it's funny i teach a lot of high school students and it, they're so serious like they're just so like they want to get it right they want to do the right thing which they're defining right by me saying great job you know and i find it challenging to really get them to um take their own take the agency of their own playing and you know say i say to them well you know <laughs> what do you think of this what do you like to do so i you know do you struggle with that as well with like incoming freshmen like they're just wanting to do it right and <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah yeah <laughs> and, you know yes absolutely um and um you know having i think part of what helps break the ice with that for me in the tube euphonium area is um sitting with my students and playing being mm-hmm. playful and not being perfect and failing a little bit it's like oh man oh. <laughs> okay oh let's do that again okay let's do that except this time, right you know putting some new parameters on things um um yeah you know something i've noticed over during this time of uh zoom teaching is it feels like uh i've had more of an opportunity to develop communication and relationships Mm -hmm. with my students because we spend a lot of time doing this right now we're talking and um you know figuring out uh how we're going to use our time uh in you know in zoom in the video way and um there's yeah, there's a little more freedom in that, I'm finding. I, I find it, it'll be interesting going back to more in-person and how, how we develop more of that in context of... Um, it just seems to me like students are more willing to communicate through this format. Interesting. Um, verbally. And because they're also using technology and... Uh, you know, giving them agency to like, okay, what do you have to share today? Go ahead and share your screen with, you know, something that you're working Mm -hmm. on or, um, you know, show me a project that you're working on. So that becomes uh, part of the lesson and the creative process too, that I think they're, they're becoming more comfortable with, which, which is how is this, how has it been like the COVID transition like what how did it go down at asu in the spring and 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 how is that how is it going for you i mean oh my god yeah yeah you know i think i mean i think we i can honestly say you know in and then probably for many people in the spring it was a it was Mm -hmm. depressing you know it was that the unknown of what we're doing completely foreign in terms of figuring out how we work yeah. together in this capacity. And then over the summer and, you know, we continued lessons over the summer, not, not as frequently, but you know, check-ins and what are you doing? And just to have conversations yeah. and helping 
students uh, transition into a mindset that is now, I think, more positive. It's much more positive and accepting where we are and that we can make progress during this time. Uh, it's not the total ideal. We still want to be together mm. and, uh, you know, figuring out you know, how, how to do that on occasion because we can be outside and we can be distanced and that sort of thing. But um, So now I think there's a renewed energy, although it is November <laughs> and... Yeah. <laughs> And exhaustion is setting in yeah. for most people, you know, but, uh, uh, and I think I mentioned earlier, you know, in our brass area, we decided to, uh, just, you know, use this to the best of our abilities to help our students learn a process of mm. recording and, um, you know, video technology and using free, uh, the students have access to Adobe, uh, the creative yeah. space so they're using like yeah, photoshop yeah. and premiere and you know, all that kind of stuff um so they're learning a ton about that through playing projects uh chamber music projects that we've organized yeah. for them i imagine that you had some new incoming freshmen this fall so what what what's that like like how do you are they on campus or um one of them is living on campus and another is not. Um, and yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's getting to know somebody right. this way. Um, it became, <laughs> it became evident to me though. I mean, I, I didn't realize that one person had not been to campus like ever because um, he just hadn't. And we had our, our distanced concert and I, you know, described where we were and the day of, he's like, um, Dr. Swoboda, um, I've never been to campus. <laughs> Where are we meeting? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Um, but, you know, that that concert served a, mm. a purpose for sure. You know, that was like yeah. early October. And it brought everybody together and to meet for the first time in person. Wow. And, um, and to hear each other play by the fountain. Oh, in, the in, court, the, uh, in the courtyard? Middle of the, oh, yeah. In the courtyard, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was super yeah. great. How many students do you have right now? Yeah. Uh, 18 combination tuba you found. Wow. Um, you know, music, mostly music education, um, performance, and three grad students. Wow. Right now, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice balance. Have you read... I was thinking about you also because I read, have you read this book by James Nestor called Breathe? No, I haven't. So it's uh, a friend of mine gave it to me. <clears throat> it's called Breathe, a, a New Science and Lost Art. Cool. And um, it made me think about my tuba friends because you guys always walked around with these gadgets, like those little tubes and and like a measuring how much air you blew. And there's like all this research now about breathing and how like, duh, how important it is for us. But like uh, nasal breathing in particular, this book is kind of all about like the importance of nasal breathing and uh, um, also talking about like the cadence of our breath, like 
and and then Wim Hof. Do you know who Wim Hof is? He's like this kind of crazy dude who ha- brings people to his place in Poland and teaches them this breath work where they can heat their body up and like melt snow and. <laughs> Yeah, I just saw a post. Someone posted that recently on Facebook that they were inspired yeah. uh, by a you know like a ten minute breathing session that he was offering. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, breath. I mean, tuba. You require. I mean, does it require? Does it actually require more breath than other instruments, or is it just that you guys work on it more than the rest of us? Yeah, tuba in particular, yes. You know, I think it's it's actually uh, been compared to flute. You know, flute has yeah. no resistance. They're blowing constantly, you know. But tuba, for sure, yeah, it does. It takes a lot more, because it's more air, less, um, you know, like, almost mm. no resistance. <laughs> and um, being able to control the air in that large capacities in large volumes yeah. <laughs> so yeah definitely for tuba it it does you know um yeah and you know i found through this time too a regular breathing practice has just kept me um even keeled <laughs> <laughs> and and more relaxed you know walking the dog i do my breathing exercises mm-hmm. and um it's uh it's real, you know, how it affects what we do on a daily basis. And because you can sit in front of a computer and really not breathe right. much at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you step away, you take a deep breath, you automatically feel better just from <laughs> taking a deep breath. And then how you put that in context of, uh, yeah. of wellness. How long does it take yeah. for, a, let's say, a new let's say an incoming freshman that you're working with, like how long does it take them to, to get like a really good air capacity? Like if they're working hard at it, is it like a semester or a year? I mean, I know it's an ongoing thing. You're probably always working on it, but I imagine there's a, there's a point where you want to get them to for capacity and, and being able to move the air, you know, how long does that take? I'm just curious. Typically, <laughs> that's that's a great question, Steve. It's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> and to reflect on that for a minute, because uh, you know, yeah, I have a, I, there's one student in particular right now, a junior who he's just made this connection with how much air it takes, <laughs> like what it feels like to take mm-hmm. a full breath and really use that full breath into the instrument. Um, so, you know, that's a couple yeah. of years. I mean, some people really get it to start, though one thing we're continually working on is projection of sound. You know, the tuba bell, <laughs> it faces up, not unlike, you know, the horn bell right. faces backwards. So you're, you're thinking about projection and where your sound is uh, going, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, where you're targeting your sound in order to really produce the sound you have to be able to take the full breath and then use it wisely on the way out use it in a proper way and that takes it just takes time to develop you know and um uh sam palafian and patrick sheridan developed the breathing gym which quickly became a uh, a tool that 
band directors in particular started yeah. using. And, um, you know, and those, a lot of those exercises are derived from yoga practice, uh, but also others that develop your, you know, the muscles that surround the breathing mechanism. Because you can't actually, like, increase your lung size, but you can learn to use sure. more of what you have in an yeah. efficient way to play the instrument. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the tools that trick us into doing things <laughs> right. more efficiently are important. When you, you were talking about projection of sound just now, and it, I was thinking about all the different scenarios that a tuba is, can be involved in. So there's, you can be part of a symphony with, you know, 50, 60, 80, other participants, you could be in a quartet or quintet, a brass quintet. You could be in a, in a, you know, a, a New Orleans style band. I mean, there's, there's all these different permutations. Is that, are you consciously aware of that when you're going into those spaces and how you're going to project or how your sound is going to, you know, fit into those scenarios? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I think you are as you have experience with those opportunities, you know, to play in those different settings um, because you're listening differently with the orchestra. You're listening and blending a lot with the trombone mm -hmm. section. So learning how to be the foundation of that ensemble in say like a, a brass quintet, um, having to, still provide the foundation, but having the nimble uh, technique that your trumpet players would have because it's the music is mm -hmm. more demanding often in, in a different range or a different way. It's in, in a different way. Um, <clears throat> and often a tuba player in a, like a chamber setting would play, well, true in orchestral too because we can change the instrument right. that we play too, you know, from the big contrabass to the bass instrument. Um, and then, yeah, and then uh, like New Orleans style kind of playing. Uh, if you have a sousaphone, <laughs> it's the best. Because <laughs> you know that you can make some sound with a sousaphone and play a, a great right. bass line and uh, with, you know, with the bell right. facing forward too, which in the old days, that was the style of a concert too, but it was, it was considered to be the recording mm. bell of the instrument because there was one microphone that was placed in front of the large ensemble, the orchestra, the band, and it captured everything. Right. <laughs> um, so how was your, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you that's know. cool. I didn't realize that that, that was the case. What, isn't there a, isn't there an ensemble of, I'm trying to think of their name. That's all like six tubas or something that play New Orleans style. Maybe I'm thinking of something else, but one of my favorite groups that's all low brass is uh, it's trombones oh. and one sousaphone. And that's who I'm thinking of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're amazing. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. That's yeah, one so of my favorite fun. groups. Let's listen to Deanna playing the tuba and euphonema from the CD Psychedelic Dances. Thank you. 
was it like? So you were with the Dallas Brass for for how long? Five years. Five years. And how did that come about? How did you get that um, audition? And can you talk a little bit about that opportunity? How it came your way? Sure. Well, reflecting on relationships again, um, you know, kind of bringing that back. I was playing, uh, living in Arizona, playing with the Symphony of the Southwest mm-hmm. or the Sun City Symphony. It was has been different names over the years. Um, and Dallas Brass fronted the group for the holiday concert. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's what I want to do. I'm going to play in that group someday. And... <laughs> And I met uh, the leader of the group following the concert. And it just so happened that he knew Sam Palafian, my teacher. And so, you know, immediately there was a relationship that was established. And we had, uh, we had dinner together. And, and then it was a couple of years mm-hmm. passed. And there was an opening in the group. And he called Sam Palafian, my teacher, and asked if, he knew anyone who would fit the position. And um, Sam said, well, actually, yeah, I do. And you should come hear her play. We were teaching at the uh, Oklahoma. It was a summer workshop, mm-hmm. uh, a tuba euphonium workshop in Oklahoma. And so uh, Mike, the leader, he drove from Dallas to Oklahoma. And he heard a recital that I was playing. And he invited me to play the first tour of the season. And the rest was history. That was <laughs> my audition. Tour. Was was touring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was what was that experience yeah. like? Yeah. I mean, you were with you were the only female in the group, right? And you're touring around yeah. with four yeah. four dudes. Uh, <laughs> right. So I mean, I'm just <laughs> exactly. curious yeah, from a musical yeah. and a personal uh, level. Like, what was what was that experience like for you to? to tour around and play all that music. Yeah. Well, it was, um, you know, that was one of my dreams because I had, you know, I had recordings of the Dallas Brass when I was in an undergrad and I aspired to do something like that. And the what if, you know, and then it was happening. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I was playing with the group. Um, And, um, you know, the people in the group at that time <clears throat> were just um, mm. really great people. Um, and when you're touring, you know, yeah. it, you become family, <laughs> you know, when you're you're traveling with people. And, I mean, you get to know each other and, you know, for yeah. better or worse, <laughs> you know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the level of musicianship, um, you know, the adage to when you're playing with great musicians, it's yeah. easier to play great because you're, you're pushed to mm. this other level. Um, so the playing was a blast. And at that time, um, the group was traveling about 175 days a year. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great doing a lot of, um, like fronting orchestras, um, doing concerts at universities, mm-hmm. uh, conferences, you know, that sort of thing. But that it, the thing too about that experience that I loved was that there was always a connection with a, a high school mm-hmm. or junior high band. 
And so we did clinics, a lot of clinics for high school and junior high and involved them in the concerts as sure. you know, the finale piece with the Dallas Brass. Um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, and that was sort of that, you know, I said earlier, the gypsy in me, that was, those were the years of playing Dallas Brass 175 days a year, um, touring mm-hmm. with my kids program, another hundred <laughs> 50 days or something, you know, um, I was also teaching at teaching adjunct at uh, UNLV University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So I was still living in Arizona, but I, Southwest Airlines was a direct, (laughs) it was a hop, skip and a jump. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was those, uh, three things at that time. Um, it was a lot, it was a lot. Uh, but it was yeah. a blast, you know, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, I think that was during the time I made a first CD recording that was connected yeah. to the kids programs that I did and, um, and the video, um, and the work with the, you know, the music stores and, um, yeah, it was just, yeah. it was a thri- I was thriving, <laughs> you know, that time in your life. You, you hit like, the yeah. freeway and you're going. <laughs> hey. Right. And you're just going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so great memories from that time for sure. Did you re- um, and then there was a point yeah. where I was ready to put roots down. Right. Not Did you that. record with them? <laughs> the Dallas Brass? You know, we didn't mm-hmm. during that time. Um, it was just touring. No, we didn't. Um, it was just touring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the most memorable, a couple memorable performances, um, performing for the um, NBC morning show in New York City. And, you know, having to arrive at like, you know, (laughs) two in the morning for the five o'clock show. (laughs) Um, That was that was a blast. And uh, we played for uh, George W. Bush, Mm -hmm. um, something in Dallas. You know, it was a a speech. but, you know, amazing. You're just like, yeah. wow. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. We did a gig at the home of, uh, who owns the Dallas oh, Jerry, Cowboys? Jerry Jones, yeah. Jerry Jones. <laughs> Jerry Jones, yeah. We were invited to Jerry Jones' house for a big event, so we... Dallas Brass did a show, um, and, uh, yeah, crazy, just yeah. fun, fun stuff, you know, memorable awesome. stuff like that. Um, wanted to talk about lip slurs. <laughs> so you've had two books really, I think published about lip slurs for those of us who aren't brass players. What the heck is a lip slur? <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> Is that when you've had like too many oh, margaritas and you're you know, like, <laughs> it's a, it's... right? <laughs> that's what I think of. <laughs> that's funny. That's the new definition. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was it was time to publish sure. something, put something out there, and you know, it's one of those things for brass players that 
sure. it's part of our daily basics because if you could be a Sam always said if if you could be a good bugler which means that you're playing all the notes with mm-hmm. your lips and no fingers um you can be a great brass sure. player adding valves so a lipsler is playing one note to the next note, just using your lips, that, no fingers, no valves. So it's yeah. developing a muscle group and is that consistency. Utilizing the overtone series, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I teach my saxophone students. We don't call them lip slurs. We just because we can't. It's we're not slurring our lips. We're it's all like throaty. Uh, you know, playing overblowing essentially. We're playing that overtone series, and there's actually oh, a picture. Right. There's a cool picture of Sigurd Rascher. I think it's Sigurd Rascher. It might be Adolf Sax. Anyway, it's a saxophone with no keys on it. It's just a like what you said, like a bugle. Cool. <laughs> with a saxophone mouthpiece on it, and uh, it's in his book Sigurd Rascher's Top Tones for Saxophone that goes through all these overtones. So that's something saxophonists do too but not probably not to the degree that brass <laughs> brass players do although i right I, right yeah. <laughs> that's cool i did not know that yeah and it actually that. helps us cool. develop better tone because we were for the saxophone voicing in the in the back of the throat is is super important and it's it's a very challenging thing to teach i find along with tonguing i find very hard to teach because we can't show our students what our tongue is doing <laughs> or what's going on there. It's really, that's a really challenging aspect. I would imagine somewhat for lipslers, although you could probably do it without a mouthpiece and show them what your lips are doing and they could see it. Yeah. Well, also, you know, lipslers are a combination of the, what the lips are doing, the yeah. tongue, the oral cavity. You know, there's a really really great video series right now that uh, Eli Epstein, who's a hornist, uh, did a project, uh, an MRI project, and there are videos on YouTube and using uh, uh, in, it's it's actually capturing the motion inside the oral cavity while you're playing the horn and what the mouth is doing what the tongue is doing. That is fascinating. fascinating. I'm going to have to check that out. Really great. That sounds, that yeah, sounds it's, really cool. Yeah, it's really excellent. Um, what else did I want to ask you about? So after, you went to Western Michigan after the Dallas Brass? Is that the progression? Yeah, yeah. That was my first full-time uh, university teaching position. And it was... That was really an excellent transition because there was a full-time faculty brass quintet as well. So it was transitioning (laughs) from touring to being in one place and having, you know, though the repertoire was completely different. Dallas Brass was uh, Mm -hmm. more show entertainment driven and the faculty quintet was very contemporary and um, standard repertoire, brass quintet repertoire. Um, so there was, you know, those years were a, a point of growth as well. Um, when you're focusing your music endeavors in a different way, mm-hmm. you weren't always growing from that. 
and learning something new and um so that was that was a great time too and uh yeah i really thought i had put some roots down and that was where i was gonna live i loved kalamazoo michigan (laughs) it's a great town oh it's excellent yeah Yeah. you know Um, university town in the midwest and it's just beautiful and love my colleagues you thought you were gonna stay there um all the experiences I had there. What, what changed your yeah. mind? Yeah. <laughs> well, Sam was retiring. <laughs> there was an opening. Actually, my husband is mm-hmm. uh, grew up in Arizona, and he's like, oh, are you kidding? That would be great to go back to Arizona. And, uh, you know, I think, I mean, thinking about... Um, I mean, really, this this had yeah, been kind of a dream sure. job in my mind as well. I think, you know, I mean, not really believing yet that that could happen too. You know, it's you put, but you plant the seed yeah. of what it is that you want to do, and and uh, before you know it, you're doing that thing. Um, so yeah, and then it was an opportunity. I was offered the position, and um, and mm. I love it here as well. There's there's just a ton of room for creative freedom um and really anything that you want to do they support right and you're doing it is it it's is it at all odd that you're teaching alongside of i mean i'm assuming there's still some of your teachers there (laughs) oh yeah oh my goodness oh yeah it's funny you know i serve on committees with uh you know well uh yes one of our you probably uh-huh. took a class from Amy yeah. Holbrook. Yeah. She's still there. <laughs> Amazing. You know, it's just, and thriving. Although, you know, much of the faculty, yeah. many of the faculty have changed and there's sure. a, you know, a newer, a new vibe and thing that's going on, but, um, it's nice. positive and, um, everybody collaborates and works well together. Is there still there's still a, good a thriving new music, uh, scene. At Arizona, I remember when I was there, it was like there was the new music ensemble and there was a really big emphasis on producing and performing new music. Is that still the case? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah, there's a new music ensemble. And um, well, I think, you know, right now there's there just is a push in all areas of expanding repertoire and new music and um, collaborating in new ways. And the School of Music just became music, dance, and theater. So it's a another opportunity wow. to collaborate yeah. across disciplines. And That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Here's Deanna playing with the Arizona State University faculty brass. This is the theme from Cinema Paradiso by Andrea Marcione.
So, so um, what's coming? What's coming up for you? What projects are on the the near horizon for Deanna? <laughs> I was thinking about what's next. You know, it's. Um, I I have to say I have appreciated this time a little bit too. It feels like there there's a layer of stress that has mm. been lifted. Um, I think part of that is, you know, the lack of commuting to and from. Yeah. <laughs> There's more time to, you know, to, um, I don't know, to do personal kinds of things and uh, yeah. home life kinds of things. That has been actually nice. really great. Um, but thinking about what's next, um, I'm... A couple of projects moving into the entrepreneurship area. I'm thinking about writing a book. Um, yeah. <laughs> those are thoughts, though. That's all right. I'm still collecting thoughts. I haven't put pen to paper yet on a regular basis. <laughs> um, uh, doing uh, Writing an article mm -hmm. in that area as well. Um, just, you know, thinking about that. And then a recording project probably this next year with new music, um, thinking about commissioning composers and working with some um, different composers, uh, right. writing for the tuba. And, um, yeah, those, those are my thoughts right now. Nothing that's right. really <laughs> active, but there are things coming up. I have a recital, sharing a recital with my, my trombone colleague, Brad Edwards, in January. And um, working up some new music for that. And um, I wanted to ask yeah. you about <clears throat> yeah. um, women in music and women in brass, because you know, typically in the even I think it's changed a lot in the last twenty years. But I think even when we were we were in grad school together, it was still rare to see you know uh, women especially in brass I, I don't know why it's been such a male dominated <laughs> um i want to say sport but it's not a sport <laughs> avocation profession for so long and that was changing around then but it's it and it feels a lot better now but how has it been for you as of as a woman coming through what's been a pretty male dominated uh, profession to where you are now. Yeah. 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 You know, I think, um, I think in my younger years, my college years, um, I thought about that more, um, <laughs> because I was always the only, sure. the only woman in the room, you know? Um, and, you know, I think there are in those situations, um, you know, you tend to either um, be just fitting in and, you know, being part of the, the group or the conversation or someone who's extreme mm -hmm. on the other side of that. And, um, and I think I was I've always been one to. Uh, I'm communicative. Yeah. I get along with anybody and kind of fitting into situations. And the professional world certainly has been, you know, very, there's, 
it's very professional and mm. respectable, I think, on all accounts. I've had not to say that I haven't had some times or, you know, certain things or, you know, points during my career when I was challenged in that way. But I do remember uh, Sam, my teacher, telling me that, um, you know, you have to be you have to be a, not just a great musician, but you have to be better. You have to be better because there's uh, as a woman. you just do. As, as a woman right now, you have to be better. I remember um, actually at the point where I was trying to decide if I was going to go in the route of having a tuba career or a conducting career, having feeling like I needed mm. to make a choice at that time. And um, someone asked if, you know, I, I said this, that I was choosing tuba. I was going to have a tuba career. And that person uh, said, how are you going to do that? First of all, you're a woman and you play the tuba. <laughs> well, that lit my fire. Nice. Right. It's like, <laughs> that's okay, kind of what that fine. does. You know, if I'm, I think it, you know, in that situation, uh, thank mm -hmm. goodness I am, I am resilient. I'm a personality that is resilient. And when confronted with a challenge in that way, I, I'm going sure. to go head into it. And uh, so, um, yeah, and you know, there are, um, there are a lot more women, professional women in the field now in terms of uh, low brass. Um, and uh, that was, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because this was just a topic of conversation for a doctoral mm. paper. Uh, a student had written and interviewed three women trombone players who, um, have diverse careers, not just the orchestral career or a teaching career, mm -hmm. but what, what they do as freelancers and um, interviewing them from the perspective, talking a little bit about gender yeah. and their, you know, where they see themselves. And so it's, you know, yes, we still have work to do. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm so yeah. grateful to be where I am, what I'm doing and continually aspire to, grow yeah. and improve and uh make the positive and you've been a champion of other women like um, you your a lot of your recordings are of women composers and like you've been out there you know you're not just an advocate in that you're you being female but like you you're out there supporting other women in the field and that's awesome yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Those have been fun projects. And, uh, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what are you listening to these days? What, what's, how do you consume music and, and what are you, what do you listen, what do you like to listen to? Hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I tend to, well, I think right now I'm so immersed in my teaching, and, <laughs> you know, my own practice. <laughs> and so I'm listening mm -hmm. with my students um, and exposing them to music that I love, like the music of Chet mm -hmm. Baker, of Louis Armstrong, 
um, Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, the classics <laughs> kinds of music that I just that I grew up with that uh, I think is really important for students to mm -hmm. know and embrace as well. Um, and, uh, you know, listening when I get in the car and I'm <laughs> listening, I'm flipping channels. I'm a I'm, you know, like a yeah. 70s, 80s <laughs> rock kind of girl but i'm i flipped to the jazz channel i flipped yeah. to the classical channel um um so kind yeah. of a little bit of everything you know nothing sure i can't say but, anything specific right now <laughs> i i appreciate you asking that question though because that's an inspiration like what are you i listening? remember this <laughs> isn't it weird so i don't yeah, know if, no, you, go if ahead. you feel that way sorry um you know if like as musicians we spend so much of our time practicing you know music that we're going to perform and do and or maybe you're listening deeply to one piece mm -hmm. because you're transcribing it and you're you know you're working on it um uh, that i often drive from yep. school to home it's, with nothing yeah. on it's yeah. just silent that's music to my ears yeah. it's so funny that you Clinton. say that because so many of the guests on the podcast say the same thing it's like Martin, Mike, the conductor for the symphony, the Sym Rogue Valley Symphony here is like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't listen very much or like a lot of people, they're just like, I want, I don't want to listen to anything. <laughs> like I want to like have silence. I'm the same way. If I'm on a long road trip, I just love the silence, like not having any <laughs> sound. It's music to my ears, sort of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's cool. What's what's inspiring you these days? Where do you draw inspiration? Mm, you know, I draw inspiration from my students. I just love my students. They're so um, enthusiastic, and they're they're just you know eating it up. They're soaking it up, and I draw a lot of inspiration from my students. Um, I draw inspiration from nature. I, I've been, um, committed to early morning, you know, like 5am mm. walking for an hour and just being, um, I also draw inspiration from podcasts mm -hmm. like this one. Uh, another podcast I like is the accidental oh. creative. Um, I like podcasts about leadership um, developing leadership skills. Um, I recently uh, co-founded a 501c um, group in the community. It's a brass ensemble, mm -hmm. a symphonic brass ensemble, and I'm the music director for that group. And uh, so that that's an inspiration too of sure. leading in the role of leadership. Um, you know, looking now during this time, being creative about what we do, how we're doing things, and uh, how to continue. Um, so that for me is a project and an inspiration as well. Um, what What do you yeah. consider essential in the practice room for you? What are your top three essential tools or doesn't even have to be a physical thing, but what 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 do you have to have when you go into the practice room to make it uh, really productive. 
Wow. I like that. Um, you know, you know, first thing that comes to mind is attitude, bringing the right attitude. <laughs> I don't always bring the right attitude to my practice. Right. Right. I mean, honestly, you know, it's like, oh, all right. Though that is part of, you know, mm-hmm. just doing it is part of the process that gets yeah. me to the flow part where then you're into it, you know. So, I mean, for me, the essential tools are you know, the metronome, the drone, and, uh, you know, the, yeah. uh, the play along kind of track that, you know, I can immerse myself into uh, something outside of myself in order to yeah. get into the flow. Sometimes that's important uh, because <laughs> you can't wait to be inspired to practice an really? instrument or practice your craft. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I discovered that recently, like yesterday. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, there's a new book I'm super excited about. Oh, wow. Uh, it's called The Practice. Oh, and it's yeah, by Seth, Seth Godin. Godin. Yeah. I love Seth Godin's writing. And it's for it really is for anybody, but it could it's really focused on the creative, the artist, the uh, you know what and essentially it's that not waiting for it to be inspired in order to create. And as musicians, we owe it to the world to create, to continually create and uh, and inspire. Nice. Um, and just how you, you know, how you get to that place, right. but you can't wait to be inspired. Damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, what would you say if you could sit down, if you could have a conversation with young, younger Deanna, you know, maybe back at ASU when we were there, if you could sit down with her and have a conversation, what, what would you want to tell her? Hmm. Oh boy. Um, relationships matter. I would start with that. Um, relationships matter and everyone that you meet, um, is a potential friend, ally, um, Mm. colleague. That's really important. Um, perseverance and to know in advance that there will be hills and valleys in your career in terms of uh, emotional and actual places where you are in your career and that it's okay. Um, Being able, you know, to persevere, knowing why, knowing why you do what you do Hmm. and knowing it sooner. We, I think we start with a, just a playful attitude because you love to do what you do and then it becomes work and then it's a career. Um, knowing why you do what you do so you can remember <laughs> that when you're in a valley and it's really low. You've got to remember why you do what you do. And uh, um, yeah, I think... You know, I, I really mm-hmm. wouldn't do anything different. You know, I, I have to say I wouldn't do anything different in my career. But I think to prioritize those things and know more about yeah. those things as a young person, um, 
would have helped me in a few you know, yeah. bumps in the road, kind of. So why, why do you do what you do, Deanna? <laughs> because I love it. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think, you know, music chose me. And why do I do it? I, I do it for other people. Yeah. It's intrinsic, I think, because it's intrinsic. You're always, um, well, thinking about how you're making a difference in the world with your music and um, helping the world change in a positive way through music. Um, and uh, I'm just <laughs> drawn to it, and it's drawn awesome. to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to close up our conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I know your time is super valuable. All of our time is super valuable. I'm so pleased you uh, agreed to share some with me and with my audience. It's um, it's great to connect and see you. And I hope uh, if I get to Phoenix and, <laughs> you know, and social you know the the pandemic isn't worse <laughs> uh we could we could connect in person right. sometime soon absolutely yeah, yeah thank you steve it's so great awesome. reconnecting okay. really appreciate it hey everyone thanks so much for listening to this week's episode with deanna i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if you'd like to learn more about Deanna, head on over to her website, deannaswoboda.com. That's D-E-A-N-N-A-S-W-O-B-O-D-A.com. You'll learn more about her entrepreneurial activities and performances coming up for her. And there's also some great recordings on her website. While you're out there, head on over to the Playful Musician website. That's theplayfulmusician.com. You can check out past episodes show notes and other cool stuff on our website hope you're doing very well enjoy your fall and we'll be back again real soon take care